On this episode of the Doc Shock Podcast, I interview Lyman Eddy. Lyman Eddy is a pastor and has been a pastor in the Virginia area for many, many years. I wanted him to give us a perspective on forgiveness from a, a pastoral perspective. An understanding of forgiveness of self in particular for people who suffer from addiction and, and really struggle with the idea of self-forgiveness and help maybe give some direction, putting some scriptural perspective to it. And so we're going to hear from Pastor Eddie about how he got into being a pastor and his experience in dealing with people who suffer traumas and, and uh, more specifically who suffer from addiction. Should be an interesting conversation and I'm sure we're going to all learn something from his wise words of years as a pastor. Okay, I'm I'm Lyman Eddy. I've uh, been in pastoral ministry for about 37, 38 years. I didn't come into this uh, in a normal fashion. I was a uh, uh, had an experience with the Lord at a Billy Graham crusade in 1963 in Los Angeles at the Coliseum, and then five years uh, just tried to uh, tried to understand what this was all about, and didn't get anywhere until I was uh, in the Marine Corps. And uh, in the Marine Corps, I spent three years uh, fighting the Cold War with Russia while uh, my brothers were in the Marine Corps in Vietnam. But uh, I came out of there about a month left before my, uh, my uh, enlistment expired. And I uh, went with uh, uh, a staff sergeant that I was close to. Well, actually, I got thrown in with and ended up in a meeting that just virtually changed my whole life. Can you say? I uh, found as a pastor many times people would uh, come and share their situations with me, and, and mostly if they're relational and it has to do with a lot of stress and, and some pretty bad relational mistakes. I uh, I found that I, you know, it really strikes something deep within me, and out of that that thing that has stricken me, I share with them, uh, kind of point them toward what the Lord's Word says, and uh, and begin to talk along those lines, and uh, understanding though that it's really important for them to be experiencing and speaking about. What they're what they're feeling uh, for this to help them. So you've you've been a pastor for a long time. Yeah, about thirty eight years. I guess. Yeah, that's yeah. a long time. I I, I met you uh, when when I met your daughter, right? My wife. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you were you were a big, imposing, scary guy when I met you. Oh well, you still are. <laughs> oh well. <laughs> um. So what I wanted to ask you was a question about understanding forgiveness from the perspective of somebody who has to forgive themselves. Because one of the things that I deal with in my practice 
as a, as a psychologist in helping people with addiction is understanding forgiveness, self-forgiveness. And they really do struggle with the concept of that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's easy for people to forgive other people because they can let something go. Right. But what they walk around with when they've done something is they walk around with the voice internally. Yeah. Condemn, condemning themselves. Yeah. Not the external voice of somebody, you know, so it's, it's a different matter. Yeah. Uh, I, I'll bet you have some experiences with that. Uh, a lot of experiences, personal and otherwise. Yeah. Yes. So the, you know, in the, in the, as a framework we use for that in recovery, uh, a lot of people do not, not everybody, but a lot of people do in recovery is they walk through a structured, uh, step process, the 12 steps. Mm-hmm. And the one for, for topic of discussion today is about, uh, forgiveness. And that's step four. The beginning of that is step four. Right. Um, and step four is that fearless searching moral inventory of yourself, um, and, and your, and understanding your character defects. And in my experience, when people go into recovery, typically where they're going to jump out is step four because they just, they don't want to face all that stuff. Right. In, in a non-recovery experience, somebody has done something wrong. You probably have more experience with people who are dealing with forgiveness of self for things that are not related to addiction, but are damaging. Correct. So from a, from a, from a pastor's standpoint, how do you embrace or how do you contextualize forgiveness for somebody when they have to forgive themselves? Well, I have to come at it from the Lord's perspective in that he gave his very life to forgive us, to attain forgiveness for us. He died for our sins, all of them, past, present, and future. And so for a person who comes to know him, their whole mindset has to be transformed they they have to begin to see themselves as he sees them. And what he sees when he looks at them is not their sins and their faults and their failures, but he sees the fact that they have been forgiven and cleansed by the blood of his son when he hung on that cross, and that from there on, from the time that they believe that and receive that to themselves— they begin to think a different way because they actually become a different person in the spirit uh, realm. And so what happens is that they are given a gift, or we are given a gift, when we accept Jesus as our Lord. That gift is called righteousness. And we enter this state of right-wiseness or being right, right before God, and right in ourselves. And so it's easy for us to take on the um, the attitude that God loves us, but for us to love ourselves and for us to forgive ourselves, even though that we know that God forgives us, that's a different story. And that has to do with the, the um, let's say, the restoration or the transformation of the soul, the mind, so you, the emotions, so the you, will. You, you use the term righteous. Yeah. Um, for for us who are not as steeped in scripture, 
um, as opposed to those of us who are. Can you define that? It's simply being right, right with God. Like mm-hmm. there's nothing twisted, nothing uh, that stands between us, right with ourselves and right with the world. In other words, it's right. We have nothing that we're afraid of or ashamed of or um, fear because we know that we're right. People people who suffer from addiction are traumatized, heavily traumatized, heavily um, evasive. Uh, I call it getting their, their sneaky on. They're squirrely. They're, they're sneaky. They're, they're always, they're always running from something, right? Cause they're always in trouble. So it, it's easy for them to lose sight of what's right. You know, they live in a world where they just want to get high and whatever it takes. Yeah. Um, so to go, to make a leap from, from that to, you know, being righteous is, is a big jump. Is there, it, it, have you experienced people who struggle with making the you know that are that far away from righteous to where they can move towards that a little bit well rephrase that question for me if you would <laughs> if you're in california china's a long way away right yeah uh if you're if you're in in uh japan china's right next door so these people are in California, yeah. and they're looking at China. All right. You know, how do they make that kind of a leap? Can you can you help? Yes, understanding that it's it's basically you start with eating the elephant one bite at a time, and you yeah. take your journey one step at a time, and so it, so you start from where you're at. As, absolutely, and as a believer, you've got the the Word of God, the Bible, to direct and instruct you personally, not not just as a as a book of instructions but as a personal god who speaks through his personal word to you individually as to what step to take next and you can count on him doing that if if, if you listen if you listen but these are people who don't listen well then they're, they're not going anywhere are they yeah okay <laughs> <laughs> so they're sit there deaf yeah so you have to pay attention to what is being said to you. And maybe it might be a voice that you just hear. <clears throat> it might be an actual person. You know, we can be influenced by people. If I were to meet you and you noticed that I was troubled and you spoke to me, you are speaking to me mm-hmm. just as much as God would be speaking to me or my next door neighbor or somebody in a 12 step meeting saying, Hey, I see you. Right. I see your suffering. Right. Okay, so to go back to step four, fearless searching moral inventory of, of your character defects, of, of your problems, right? right? So I know that something's wrong, and I, and I, and I, but I don't want to admit it. And this is what addicts do. They, they, they know something's wrong. They all know something's wrong, right. but they don't want to change it. They need to. But the part that draws them back into addiction is the feeling of hopelessness, uh, disgust, anger, self-loathing, you know, contempt for themselves, those kinds of things. And that's what really pulls them back into it. Yes. So as a, as a pastor, when you hear somebody say that, and I know you may not be able to answer this question, but what do you do? Well, I, 
I first I give a personal experience, something that I, I I am very familiar with and I could relate with them concerning. And I can talk about the faithfulness, the love of God, and how he he uh, came through for me in a way that I couldn't or in, nobody else could come through. And it changed my life dramatically. And most times that gives a person a hope that, well, if if God loves this guy and uh, and he was able to help him, maybe he can help me. And so he he would step out to trust. And that is all that God asks of us, really. To trust. Is to trust him. Mm-hmm. And that's your 12 steps. It's really just a progression of trusting him and doing what would be, uh, you know, favorable and acceptable in his sight, which is best for us, it turns out. You, you know, it's interesting because these are, these are people who do not trust anybody. They learn not to trust. Most of them have, like I said, suffered severe trauma in childhood. So they were molested or beat as children. So they don't trust authority figures. They don't trust people. They trust themselves and that's it. And and even that, they doubt themselves. Um, Well, the wonderful thing is, is that God proves himself. If, If he extends trust to us, even if we're not trustworthy and, and, and especially if we're not trustworthy, he extends trust. We take him up on that a little bit, and all of a sudden, he just he just opens the door and pours out himself in a way that we can understand and identify with, and take a hold of, mm-hmm. and begin to move forward on this course that he's uh, laid out for our lives. So let me explain to you, like the typical scenario of somebody working step four and five. So step four is the fearless searching moral inventory, and then step five is saying out loud to yourself and to another person and to God, the nature and extent of those mm-hmm. character defects. So step four, uh, you get somebody who's 10 years in recovery. They're working with a sponsor, the sponsee. So you have a sponsor of 10 years and you got a sponsee that's got like mm, 40 days <laughs> or, or 50 days or mm-hmm. three months or whatever. And they get to step four. Mm-hmm. So the sponsor says, all right, I want you to sit down. I want you to start writing. And they start writing down all of their character defects. We even have workbooks for that. Mm-hmm. You know, the Hazelton company has a, the AA company, right? Uh, the, the, the organization that, that sponsors it. Um, they have workbooks, but the, typically it's just sit down with a piece of paper and start writing. And the, um, the sponsee will start writing. They'll start putting stuff down. And then they come back and a, a day or two later, <clears throat> and they have two two pages of handwritten notes of just horribleness in front of them. And the sponsor looks at it and says, okay, that's a good start. Uh, you're not even close. <laughs> You've been a heroin addict for six years. Two pages. Nah, I don't think so. So you go back and, and you'll end up with 10, 15 pages of handwritten, you know, single line spaced stuff of all your garbage. And now you understand why a lot of people will jump out at step four because they don't want to deal with that. They don't want to. They don't want to know this stuff. So they, they, now you got your ten pages of handwritten notes of garbage that's your life sitting right in front of you. And now you have to, with step five, say it out loud. In other words, make it real. And so the person who is in recovery is struggling with understanding, you know themselves and what they've done and 
there, you know, step nine is where you reach out to others to make amends. Right. Well, they're not even there. They're just like, take the, this burden of this addiction and these problems from me. Right. As a leap of faith. And you're trusting that the sponsor is going to actually care about you and, and cares about what you're saying. Right. And you know that that sponsor is in recovery and has done this themselves. Yep. And maybe they've gone back out a few times and relapsed or whatever. Yep. And you know that. Yep. And you still, you struggle with writing all this stuff down. So like these moments of, like you de described to me, uh, you told me one time about a woman that you, um, that you were working with who had this sudden revelation of change and she, it just came gushing out of her yeah. and then she stopped using. Right. So yeah. can you just real briefly just tell that, that story just in yeah. Short, short. Yeah. She had, uh, she had been told that we were having, you know, uh, meetings where we talked about God and so forth. And so she traveled out our way and showed up for one and then asked if she could meet with us the next day. And so she met with my wife and, um, she asked, uh, she, she had known my mother is for my mother had, had uh, prayed for her in the hospital. And so, uh, she, um, she asked my wife, uh, if she could help her, uh, to stop smoking. Mm -hmm. And my wife told her, well, you know, you know, smoking, that's not a terrible sin. Cigarettes. Yeah. Not and a, not a problem. Yeah. And so she said pot and uh, my wife said, well, now maybe that's, we need to talk about this. And so she started to push on her to see if she was really wanted to be free. But, uh, the more she pushed, this lady started saying, well, look, I, I really wa want to be free. And look, look what I'm doing here. She's emptying out her pocketbook into the trash basket. And there's all these, these pills and these things called window panes <laughs> and stuff like that. We didn't know anything yeah. about that. We weren't into drug culture. Right. But, uh, so she's pouring out all these drugs in the, into in the, the trash can in, in, the in trash your house. Can. And, you're, and you're, yeah. Uh, and my wife is trying to ascertain if she's really serious about wanting to be free. Cause she didn't want to, you know, mess with it. We, we had enough experience with alcoholics and drug addicts to know that unless they really want to be free, you really can't get too far with them. Right. And they'll take you for a ride. And, uh, and so she, she said, well, wait a minute. And she called me. And so I came from the other room in and she, she explained what happened. I said, well, okay, let's pray. So we held hands and prayed. And as we were praying, this lady just started tears, just started pouring out of her, her face, her eyes. She was just, and she was having a, just a real strong experience in her emotions or spirit or whatever. And at any rate, at the end of that, she was just very peaceful. And uh, we knew her for another 10 years past that and never, never went back to drugs. Never. So, so that impact of that moment was immediate for her, but she was at that place where she was doing, you know, she was, she was being freed from her addiction yeah. in front of you. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's a rare occurrence. Yeah. Uh, honestly. And, and in, in my world, she compressed into one afternoon what takes your six months <laughs> oh, yeah. I hear you. <laughs> to get for me to get to them. Um, and they do come in here. They come in here and they'll give me drugs and they well, give she, me their needles. And she had almost lost her life in the hospital and she uh -huh. knew it. Right. And she had lost uh, the, the ability to think clearly. 
and this drug use that she had been caught up in. And in fact, her mind was just, she was just all over the place. That's every addict. But after, a, <laughs> it wasn't but a year or two, she had a, just a very strong mind after that. And she was doing teaching classes and things like that. Yeah. And so, yeah. Huh. This podcast is brought to you by Anchor.fm. It's a free podcast platform that has creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. I uh, found as a pastor many times people would uh, come and share their situations with me and, and mostly if they're relational and it has to do with a lot of stress and, and some pretty bad m- relational mistakes. I, uh, I found that I, you know, it really strikes something deep within me and out of that, that thing that has stricken me, I share with them, uh, kind of point them toward what the Lord's word says and uh, and begin to talk along those lines and uh, understanding though that it's really important for them to be experiencing and speaking about what they're what they're feeling uh, for this to help them. The AA, and a model of, of supporting recovery is something that I typically want people to engage in when they've already gone through residential treatment. So they get their brain working in a different way right. before they start it. It's very difficult to get sober. Right. Uh, and just strictly in AA, it's very hard. Um, but there's a, there, there's step four, step five, step nine, are all kind of aimed at the same thing, which is understanding forgiveness. And I think that the whole point of the 12 steps for somebody in recovery really is aimed at forgiveness, honestly. Right. Um, six and seven and eight, you know, they're all aimed at, you know, relieve these burdens from me. But I think it's really all about forgiveness of, of self. So in step nine, we seek out those that we have harmed to try to make amends whenever possible, except where it would you know, be dangerous or cause problems. Right. Do more destruction. Right. To get to this, to the point of step nine, you really got to have an understanding of, of who and what you are. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in, in recovery work, somebody is walking through this process of forgiveness. They will encounter the things that they have done to others. And sometimes things that they have done to themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody who's OD'd four times on fentanyl. Um, they're, they're self harming and they feel it and they know it, or they've harmed somebody else. Maybe they helped somebody else shoot up and that person died or they killed somebody in a car accident or harmed them, uh, something like that because they were drunk. Right. So now you're saddled with this responsibility of what you do, what you've done. And they come to you and they confess this to you. This is what I did. And I can never forgive myself for it. What do you say? Pastor, what I say is uh, that if you confess your faults or your sins to the Lord, 
that he is uh, faithful and just to forgive your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Now, is that true or is it not? Is it true for you now or is it not? It's true for me, and it's true. It's eternally true. And so if you do confess your sins, you are assured by God that your sins are forgiven and that you are cleansed from the unrighteousness that came into your life and the lives of others. But that requires them to believe that. Exactly. Now, they've gone through step five, four and five, five, bearing, allowing somebody to bear witness where you're saying it out loud to yourself and another person, God. Right. Um, the nature and extent of those, of those problems. Okay. And right. when you go to step nine and you seek somebody out and you say, Hey, look, I want you to know that I know that this was wrong, that I did this to you. And I, mm-hmm. you know, there's an opportunity for them to be off loaded of their anger, exactly. unburdened from their anger, the person you're talking to. Right. But you're still walking around with it. And you are. So for me, when somebody's going through step nine, what they're doing for themselves is they're saying they're hearing, I forgive you or not. But they are saying, I did my part. I did my part. I'm trying to relieve myself of this burden of guilt, right? So what you just said was that they have to have faith and believe. These are people who don't have faith and they don't believe. Now, what do you say, Pastor? Well, I say that what Jesus was all about Mm -hmm. was to save us from our sins. And that was, you find that in the book of Matthew when he's talking about the Lord coming. And, and this, is what, this is what this is. It's a, it's a whole salvation from our sins, not only ourselves, but those that we hurt. And so if, if we receive this forgiveness from the Lord and we forgive ourselves, then we have courage to ask others to tell them that we're sorry and ask them to forgive us. And if they do or they don't, um, that's between them and God. But as for me and where I am, um, I've done all that I can do to make right what God forgave me of. So here, here's what happens a lot of times with addicts. They have these rumination brains that just think about things over and over and over yeah. again. So they, you may get them in that moment and say, you know what? You, you have been forgiven. Mm-hmm. And they feel it right. right then. And four days later, they're right back where they started. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Yep. So how many times must we forgive? Right. Seven times 70, because that's yep. what we're trying to understand that forgiveness is eternal, as you said. Right. But when I go back and I think about it again, I can bring it back up. Right. Okay. Now what? You get right back to that same scripture again. I confessed and I forsook it and he's forgiven me. And so I forgive me and I stand forgiven. And that's the fight you fight. That's called the good fight of faith where you've got this inner voice that's telling you otherwise Mm -hmm. and you have an enemy. Your enemy, the devil, goes about seeking whom he may devour. And he wants to win. And he wants to win. Right. So, so he's going to use words, twist words, Absolutely. to get you to believe these false beliefs about Absolutely. how horrible you are. Just like in the garden, has God said, you know, that's what he posed to uh, Adam or that, to Eve. That apple. Had, yeah. That apple. That's right. <laughs> and so you, we have a choice. Are right. we going to believe God or are we going to believe this other voice or our feelings or the... Voices of other people. Right. Yeah. 
So when you, when you begin that process of understanding forgiveness, it's not just once. It's always, it's, and, it's and, continuous. and you can't, this is something I, I deal with all the time with clients is, but how, you know, forgiving and forgetting, they try to put them together. You cannot forget no. your life unless you have amnesia or Alzheimer's no. or something. You can't. So it will come back up. Yeah. You will remember the day that you did this or that. Absolutely. Right. You will. So that's why it's important to then be able to understand that you were forgiven. Yes. And can be forgiven each time you Every time. Replay all it. the time. Okay. <laughs> so somebody is an addict and they 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 are seven years sober, clean, not using drugs and alcohol, and they hear those words from the enemy and they go back out. Yep. And they go pick up and they use again. Yep. Okay. Now they've just thrown away seven years, ten years. I think the longest I've I've seen is twenty six years of sobriety and they just threw it away. Mm -hmm. Now they got to go through this whole thing again. They got to go crawling back into the meeting and pick up the 24 hour chip after they've been talking for years about their 22 years and 23 years and 24 years sober. And now they got to start all over again. Shame, shameful. Yeah. So they can be forgiven too. Absolutely. Are you sure? Absolutely. You know that in your heart. Absolutely. (laughs) No question about it. Right. That's because they can. He died for the forgiveness of all sins. So, so I guess what you're saying is the key to this is that you have faith, that you do believe that you can be transformed. You can be cleansed. That's the key to everything. You can be made whole again. Yep. Are you sure? Absolutely. Okay. I just want to check in. (laughs) See the look in your eyes. I want to make sure. sure. (laughs) Absolutely. So, once they have been, once you have been forgiven, it's actually not a past tense thing. No. It's a present tense. It's ongoing. Future too. I am forgiven. Absolutely. Not I have been forgiven. Yep. Is that what you're saying? Right. Okay. So what do you do with somebody who is just stubbornly holding on to, no, I can't, or I just can't let that go? You say, well, until you do, you're just going to have all these problems. If you want them, you got them. It's your choice. But here it is. Yep. You just have to believe. Yep. And then you have to trust. Absolutely. And then you have to, as we say in the 12 steps, in step three, turn yourself over to a higher power. Right on. Faith. Yeah. We all live before in. In him, we live and move and have our being. And and the sooner we come to realize that, and come to a full fruition of it in our lives, the happier and the more content and fulfilled that we will, we will be while we're on this earth. Hmm. I remember working with a man who, he had come to, to me because he had uh, found some life in the church services and so forth. And he wanted to get some counseling because he was pretty depressed. And, uh, and as far as addicted, I don't think he was addicted. But uh, um, as I began to talk with him, I, I saw that he was, well, he shared he, that he felt that he was terribly abused by his ex-wife. And that when I presented him with, well, did you forgive her? And, uh, of course, he said, no, and I never will. 
And I said, but you, you can't, you can't live that way. And I started to feel that, well, unless he, unless he sees this and understands it, then he, he's going to be in worse trouble than he's in now. And I'm thinking this. And so my, 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 let's say, purpose concerning him from then on was to help him see that forgiveness was absolutely necessary for him to achieve any kind of life uh, that was life. And so uh, uh, that's what I was thinking as, as I was going into this. But uh, unfortunately, he maintained his position and uh, ended up having a stroke and being in long-term care. And as far as I know, he's still there. Uh, from that time forth. If I believe I can be healed from my suffering, I can be. Yes. And if I have an understanding that I'm worthy of faith, of engaging in faith and being part of something bigger than me, like other people, God, you, I, I can and and look in my heart and see what's in there. I can be saved. Yes. So I can be forgiven. Absolutely. Yeah. And I may have to practice forgiveness because I am forgiven instead of I have been forgiven. You. You. It's not that you may have to. You will have to. I absolutely will have to. Yes. 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 Okay. So it's a process. Yep. And it's a belief. Yep. And it's a change. Yep. So if I change, then I can get there. Yep. In recovery, we have a lot of sayings. And one of them is, there's only one thing I have to change to get sober. Everything. <laughs> well, the good news in all that is that it's God who does the work in us when we, when we trust him. And we can't do, we can't make those changes, but he can. So you have to open yourself up to allow that to happen. Yes. Wise words. Uh, and a very interesting perspective that I think a lot of addicts don't have, but that could, they could learn from. And so having faith, whatever your faith is, if you're Jewish or you're Christian or you're Muslim or what, you have no faith, but you have to have something. And that's the magic of recovery is engaging in that change and that belief. Yeah. Yeah. I want to thank you, uh, Pastor Lyman, for coming in today and giving us some, some wisdom to kind of chew on while we contemplate forgiving ourselves for the things that we've done to ourselves and to other people so that we can walk through our days without carrying the burden of that that guilt and shame and that uh, accusing voice that we hear in our head all the time. It's a great thing to learn from people who are older and wiser than us because their wisdom has real meaning. So I really want to say thank you for coming in today and talking to us and making uh, us a little bit smarter about forgiveness and and walking a path of the righteous. If you got something out of this podcast, 
I would encourage you to listen to some of the other podcasts in this uh, grouping of Doc Jacques podcasts. My goal is to try to help people who are in addiction, try to move towards getting into recovery, those who are in recovery to continue that support of sobriety and for family members who have an addict in their midst to get help for them by helping the addict. As I say to all my clients and all the families, you're either part of the problem or you're part of the solution. There is no gray area. So if you are an addict and you're thinking about getting clean and sober, you can make that leap. There are so many places you can go everywhere in the world, no matter where you are, go to AA, go to NA, get into the rooms, get a sponsor, go to residential treatment. If you've been out, you've picked up again, get back in the rooms, get back in the community. You don't have to hide. And if you're a family who has a loved one who is in addiction and can't seem to get out, enlist help from professionals. Don't try to do it on your own. It's probably not going to work. Go to Al-Anon, reach out for help, go into therapy, do whatever you can. Because as I say to everybody, you're either part of the problem or you're part of the solution. There is absolutely no gray area between. So be part of the solution. And again, if you like this podcast, I have others, many others that are already there and future podcasts that will be coming, covering a whole range of topics on addiction recovery and trauma. So I look forward to future podcasts and please come back. There's, there's a great gulf between doubting and fighting doubt. Uh, we're believers, not doubters, when we accept Jesus as Lord, because we're transformed. We're made into a new creation. And the enemy is doubt. Uh, and we fight that continually. But we are not doubting. We are not a doubter. We're a believer. And... The battle lies in fighting what the world, the flesh, and the devil comes up against us with that would cause us to doubt God.